We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Hamry, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me. Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. What's going on, Sean? Oh, not too much. I'm in. I'm getting in that uh, high school football mode, which means, which means, by the way, high school football is around the corner. I think your have your kids started school yet? My my youngest starts high school on on Tuesday. Okay, he's, well, he's a I, freshman. He, he it's starts always, high school. It's always the barometer for me to know that king season's not far away. So it's not just far to, away. It's get, it's approaching. It is. Okay, and of course we have Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse podcast. What's going on? Not too much. Another day in the life, I guess. Sean says it's not too far away. It does feel pretty far to me. I, I have like a little bit of an itch for basketball, and I guess I've been trying to scratch it with like WNBA and the NBL. And it doesn't hit quite the same, but it'll fill the void for now. Well, we do have some basketball coming up. Uh, you know, we're going to have Euro Euro basket, uh, and just you know, I, I know Sabonis played yesterday, right? Uh, just in a, in a friendly in a in the build up to uh, to the Euro basket you know, competition. So um, yeah, we will have some basketball to watch, and you're just with those. You're just fingers crossed that nothing bad happens. But no I want to, yeah, I want to see I want to see Sabonis see if he he starts. Uh, pulling out the range and, and start shooting from uh, you know three point range, especially with doesn't he play with Valanciunas? Yeah, yeah, he does. Just pulled up the stats. Apparently, he shot one yesterday. Did he hit that one? He did not. Shouldn't oh. have asked the question. Oh. Ten six and three on the day. Oh no! Not only how many shots did he take? Yeah, how many shots did he take? He uh, five of seven from the field. Finland should not be able to check this guy. What's going on here? That's what I mean. Yeah, Finland. <laughs> Yeah, this he only played a few minutes, right? Twenty-three. Oh, okay. A yeah, little bit of run. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. About to uh, dissect this film and overreact to every little detail. 
yeah, there we go. We do need a, a deep dive into uh, the Eurobasket, uh, you know, tune-up match from uh, Demontis Sabonis. Off the top of your head, is there anyone from Finland that we can name? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I no. don't think no. so. Not with no. I can't think of anybody. There I was somebody. Don't have on. an answer. Okay. Well, while Brendan looks that up, if you are watching on YouTube right now, uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get up to 3,000 followers on on the YouTube channel. We're growing like crazy, which is super fun. Um, Also, I'm still wrangling a guest, but the author record with the Kings Beat Virtual Happy Hour um, part, oh man, what are we at? Part seven? Part eight. I don't know. We're going to, we'll figure that one out. Uh, that will be coming soon. So make sure to become a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. Even though it's the off season, we're still providing content uh, at least four or five times a week. So that's good to see. Um, I don't know. Outside of that, uh, make sure that you're, uh, if you're listening on YouTube, I mean, uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, Give us a rating and a review. Those things help us in the algorithm that has become our lives. Uh, anyway, let's get to... The, the algorithm of your life. Yeah, the algorithm is like, I don't know. I, I think it's destroyed modern it's humanity. Scary. So Yeah, yeah. So, so Brendan, did you find anything on, uh, on Savonis here? What do you got? There is, uh, well, on the oh, Finland. Finland team. team Finland. Yeah, there is one NBA player, um, Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, I was saying Laurie Markkinen, uh, yeah, but no. I couldn't remember if he was uh, Finlandish or if he was uh, if he was from a, a different Scandinavian country. Another land. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I've been watching Licorice Pizza all morning. Um, there you I go. hate I hate pulling up Brandon and saying I'm halfway through the the film, but it's only because I started this morning and then we started the podcast. Um, I'm intrigued so far. I'm confused so far. I think that that's part of it, right? You're supposed to be intrigued and confused at the same time. You're, Let you're it not... unfold before you. And uh, it's yeah. a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, so I think that bears a little bit of a warning there because it's it's not necessarily Wes Anderson because Wes Anderson movies are just kind of strange and yes. unusual. But Paul Thomas Anderson movies which are great. They also require a little bit of patience if you know what i mean yeah i don't mind like watching if you saw it, there will be blood that was a it's a great movie but it's a slow burn man oh yeah 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 that's that is a very totally very agree slow. you've never <laughs> seen there will never be seen blood it. <laughs> no uh that's intense i don't they do a lot in that film don't they do a lot of silent uh moments like isn't like there's not a lot of background music um yeah, yeah, it's it's a, I mean, it's an incredible Daniel Day Lewis Paul Dano yes. performance, but uh, my goodness, man, it's just like I said, slow burn, some moments of not a lot going on, and uh, I'm really we're really selling it. Like you have to, it has to, you have to commit to that movie. And if you walk away, I think most people will walk away saying that's pretty intense, but that's a tough one. It's a tough nice. watch for some people. I finally I've converted my wife to watching The Offer. Uh, so first she had to watch uh, Godfather Part 1 again. It's been a long time since she's seen it. So we actually watched Godfather Part 1 last night. Um, I, I, Brendan, you did get through it, right? We we went through it. I did. Right? I did. Yeah. And 
one sitting, I think. No, I might have split it into yeah, I don't into know. four, <laughs> <laughs> two at most. <laughs> it's a long one, so I, I mean, I get that, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's the second time I've watched it in like the last two months. Um, it's still a great film. Um, okay, so uh, we have hit the dog days of summer. Everyone knows that. So uh, sometimes we are going to talk movies, and if you don't want to listen to that, that's fine. Um, you know, there there are other things you can do in your life and outside of watching or listening. Uh, we get it. Uh, but uh, t- Sean, you put out uh, a tweet yesterday, and the Sacramento Kings put out a bunch of pictures via social media of Arco Arena being dissolved being completely uh, deconstructed. Um, just give us your thoughts. Uh, it, it is kind of hard to watch, right? Um, I know we have said goodbye to the building way too many times, and it's just kind of been an eyesore for the last, I don't know, like six, seven years, just sitting out there with weeds growing in the in the parking lot, and, um, you know, the six-man statue was buried uh, behind a bunch of, you know, seven-foot-tall weeds. But uh, what what were your thoughts uh, and takeaways from just watching that thing getting demoed? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing for it, the lead up and all that stuff. Like, I didn't go out to the say goodbye thing because we already did that the final night. You know, I'd been out there during the pandemic and, like you said, seeing the weeds and, uh, you know, that's when it was turned into a hospital and uh, because of COVID. So, you know, I've had the opportunity. I do feel a little of the frustration that our friend Damian Barling shared because – my point of my tweet last night was like, get it over with. <laughs> like, like it, the, the it. images, the <laughs> images of being, uh, and again, I'm not an architect. So I, you know, I, I understand it's just me being this guy sitting in a chair, you know, l- just lobbing heat at, at, at people who are doing big multi-million dollar jobs, but that's what I do here. Uh, I'm just like seeing these like it slowly picked apart felt like a slow death. Um, it's already been kind of a slow thing. Most buildings and I and I think it doesn't happen this way because of the repurpose of the, the land or what I don't know. But usually they just implode it and it, it just falls down and it, it's like there it went and uh, you kind of cheer it and yay it's gone and good riddance and move on right. And that's it's kind of what I was hoping for. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be like slowly picked apart, like a slow, slow death where everyone's driving by and cringing at the side of this once still shitty building that had just housed so many <laughs> great, great memories that were just so timeless. And, you you know, then you get nostalgic and it's one thing to get nostalgic and say, OK, it's still in, there. It is. I, it's everything I remembered. And then it's another thing to walk by and see it going through this half ass op- autopsy. So. Uh, like I know it's for the greater good. It's it's just it's kind of a striking image to see it just picked apart the way it is. I'm gonna guess that in California, in order to blow up a building, you have to have it, it probably costs a lot more to blow it up because of the potential for you know, uh, you know, it, like sh- putting stuff into the air all around you, like the environmental impact of blowing up a building versus. Uh, you know, going out there with a bunch of tractors and knocking it down. I do think it's interesting to see how they're they're deconstructing it because it, it it's just weird to see from the outside looking in, like the back of the upstairs where you can see the stairs going down or where the seats are upstairs, but um, sort of the back side of it. It's just a concrete, but it, it's still like if you don't have a construction background at all, if you've never 
like demolished stuff. Um, it's it's interesting to see it like torn open. It is. Um, I don't know. Brandon, I, I, I also I, I I also sorry, Brennan. I also have Gavin Maloof like in the back of my head. I remember being at a press conference with him one time. And they were talking about, and I was like, well, what would you like to, he's like, what do you like to see happen with the building or something? And he's kind of snickers, and he's just like, blow it up. Blow <laughs> like, it up. So like, he just said it. Like, he's blow it up. Like, he didn't but care. But you remember, was, he's was... not the developer. That's George. Right, right. Goddamn George Malouf. Uh <laughs> I think they should just fully commit to the bit at this point and just post progress pictures every day. Like, I, I just want to see daily progress, maybe twice a day. Like, why not? I'm totally with Damien, and I think it sounded like Sean was as well. Like, I, I don't have all that much, admittedly, of like an emotional com- connection to the building in the same way. But I feel like I've seen plenty of times where it's like, okay, say goodbye, say goodbye, and it's like, okay, are we saying goodbye or or what's going on here? This is a this is a complicated breakup. <laughs> or it's a complicated death. That's what it's like. I'm not quite yeah. dead yet. It's, like a, it's just <laughs> yeah. it, the there are some there are some triggering images, and I get what Damien's saying. I mean, he, he did kind of lose his cool there for a minute, which was kind of funny. But but yeah, I mean, you've got these moments where like I think because you have these staged organizational uh, events that happen, like hey, come say goodbye to the building. Most people did that already, you know, and they're going to do it again because it's going to implode and they're providing another opportunity. Well, if you missed one, it gives you an opportunity, right? But again, it's like you're driving along the road and it's like, well, look at that. <laughs> There's this, this building that's just being picked apart and looks weird. Like you, it's, it's definitely not something you see every day, whether it's an arena or a house. You just don't really see demolition sites as it is. But it's another thing to see a place that was this is you know Vivek Ranadive likes to call uh arenas like the modern day cathedrals that, that brought everyone together and people come and meet and all that stuff so it is I, I I get it like whether you said goodbye to the building you can't help how people feel and you know I know Damien's had memories in those buildings as well he's easy to move on other people don't and again it's one thing just to see it that way and for me I didn't think it would be triggering but I'm looking at it like my god that looks weird like this thing is <laughs> This thing's just hanging out, and like it's just it looks like it looks like an apocalyptic type scene. So uh, I just that's why I said I, I think it'd be easy to stomach if you just blew it up and congratulate like hey clap move on and it's gone. Now it's like this slow death where it's just like what does it look like three weeks from now? You know, hollowed out shell of nothing and abandoned and just weird. And again, it's just a sight you don't see every day. So it won't take that long. It won't take it. Uh, you know, for for the whole thing to be completely demolished. It, it will it, it will probably go. Once you get, I mean, you got to worry about the glass. So th- a lot of that was taking out the glass fronts and stuff. But, uh, you know, sort of the four corners of it will topple relatively quick. And you'll see that thing come down. I, I think it's interesting, though. Like, as someone who, like, worked construction, worked on, you know, big buildings in downtown, like, it's not a pretty sight when you're building a something like that. And then when you have to pull it back apart, it's even uglier because, you know, concrete can look, you know, people go, Oh, it's just concrete, but like it can look really cool and it can also look really bad. And we're kind of seeing like the deconstruction, what happens when you pull something apart uh, that you had to put together in a way that would stay together forever. And so it's interesting, but same time, like I, I was telling Sean before we came on, um, I'm in the middle of deconstructing uh, the entrance to my bar. 
uh, which I, this is where it's my, it's basically, it's my workspace and my studio, but it's a, it's a functioning bar. I mean, I, I have like a 12 foot long bar, like top it here. Um, so you've got a wrecking ball outside ready to just take out a wall. <laughs> well, okay. So like I've, I've been honest with people on here, like I was on blood thinners forever. So I wasn't able to get to any of my projects this summer. And then when you start doing a, a project like this, because the plan it's more based on building exterior like bookshelves that will move. Like I'm trying to make a secret entrance to the bar and also give myself uh, some like noise buffer and stuff like that. So the rest of the house can function while I'm in the bar doing things like four hours of radio, like I will tomorrow or podcasting like this. Um, but I have this really wide opening and in order to build the book, the book cases, the way I want it, where they'll fold out and, you know, kind of collapse um, I have to shorten the entrance, like narrow the entrance into my bar. And so I have to do some deconstruction and it's just been a while because I haven't, you know, I had back problems all last summer and then this summer, you know, I've been on blood thinner. So anyway, I started the project and then I had like in the first probably half hour, like a major catastrophe. Um, I used a shop vac and for some reason the shop vac, uh, decided to blow all the, the um, sheetrock dust uh, it sucked it into the canister and blew it out the other side so i literally coated my entire house with uh with white dust like this giant poof like oh no that's not good uh, so so i understand what's happening there and I can, <laughs> like how big of a mess it's gonna make and you know i don't even know how many dump trucks full of stuff and where that stuff goes and all that uh, it's just, in california it's complex because it's not just pulling something apart like a, a giant building or just imploding it because that stuff has to go somewhere at some point. Um, now I don't Brendan, had you ever, have you been to Arco? Have you been inside? No, actually. Uh, my first reaction or first time seeing Arco was probably driving to the airport and being like, this is where the stadium was at, to be honest. Yeah. Very in the middle of nowhere. It's right off the side of the, well, when Sean and I were young, it was, um, it was just sitting out there by itself. Like, they built up all around it like this stuff it, it is slightly disguised from the freeway now but it used to just be like a giant like square sitting out in the middle of nowhere and like a little bit raised um sean what were your like what's your best memory uh, this was going to be we'll just do it the business of basketball what was your best memory of uh of of arco uh, for me, it's the, the moment they beat the Mavericks and, and moved to the Western conference finals. Cause it was the loudest that I had ever experienced the, the building. Cause I wasn't there when they came back from the, uh, playoff win in Seattle, the Mitch Richmond, Brian Grant days. And, uh, everyone lost their mind. I saw it on television. It was incredible. But, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the moment that they beat the Mavericks, to me was easily the loudest I'd ever heard the building so much so that I was like, I was working for KHTK at the time. I literally just held out a microphone and recorded the, the audio of the crowd. It was just that loud and you couldn't hear the na 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 Hey, whatever that stupid song is. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, you just couldn't, you couldn't really hear it. And the place was just freaking raucous. It was great. Um, I think that's my favorite. You know, I've experienced so many concerts in there, and I was really yep. trying to remember. Like my first memory was in that building. Might have been 
Barnum and Bailey Circus before even a Kings game. Um, if I, if I, it was either a Kings game or it was Barnum and Bailey, and I can't remember which because I think, uh, you know, I got to see Jordan play so many times in that building, and uh, you know that that's always going to be something that Jordan that, versus Richmond. Yeah, just in just unbelievable matchups. So, uh, yeah, that's probably it for me. I mean, great concerts though. I've seen Green Day twice in there, and you know, Elton John and. Um, saw, I mean, saw. I Dr. saw you too. Ice Cube, yeah. and I saw it was the Eminem. You know, all them together. Um, my good friend Ice just Cube. a lot of them. My my, my good friend Ice Cube. That's right. Yeah, or as we as Sean calls yeah. it, it's just Cube. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just Cube these days. Yep. <laughs> how, how do you guys? Because obviously, I've heard that that stadium gets super loud. I believe there's some sort of record, right? Oh yeah, um, Guinness Books of World. They brought out a Guinness dude. Yeah. How do you, because obviously, like, Sean, the moment you talked about beating the Mavs going to the Western Conference Finals, like, I'm sure there's a balance of how much it has to do with the acoustics of the building and just the moment, but how do you think the acoustics kind of compare to now with Golden 1 Center? Oh, night and day. I mean, that yeah. place, they called it, it was Arco Arena, but so many people would refer to it as Echo Arena. It wasn't yeah. the best place to hear a concert, particularly if it's very bassy. Uh, if, you're, if you're hearing even hip-hop, it's going to be very, very echoey. Um, and, and to the Maloof's credit when they got in there and it made a huge difference, man, they put in, they, they really tried to fix a lot of the acoustics in that building. The best part about golden one center is the sound of that building. You can hear, even if you're at a Kings game, you can hear everything Scott Moak says there was, we had a game night host. Well, we, the Kings did, but I'm saying we, James and I experienced this when you're at the arena, whether it be it big Mike uh, Jennifer Santich, who was out there, a former Kings dancer, you couldn't understand her. <laughs> like it was really tough. Uh, you would have uh, a high pitched. She had a, a very kind of a high pitched voice, and it, and it, if you're in if you're in the arena, you, you could barely understand anything she said. I mean, you can hear the clarity of anyone speaking, and it just doesn't really reverberate and echo throughout the building. So, if you haven't been to a concert at Golden One Center, you're you're uh, missing out. Yeah. yeah, man. Especially if it's somebody you want to see, or if there's a bucket lister that's come through, um, it, it's an it's it's an it's an entirely different experience. Even if you go down somewhere like SAP Center, which admit, is admittedly much better than what Arco was, but that and Oracle Arena in Oakland, you know, can't hold a flame to what um, what golden one center is and i'm actually i you know i've been to the finals i've been to several games been to all the warriors postseason now for for chase center chase center sounds great you know you, i think chase center is very comparable i'm going to go to my first chase center concert later this uh later this month i'm going to go see the killers so i will have a full report on how uh how it sounds to golden one center but golden one center is fantastic and it's uh, you know best best arena that i've been in especially for a concert setting yeah, so Brendan, because you weren't, you don't know so much of the history of the building. Um, so they built Arco One, which was a tilt-up building. So basically, they poured cement slabs on the ground and then tilted them up and and fastened to, together to make a big box. That's Arco One, which is right down the street from Arco Two. People drive by it all the time and wouldn't even know. It's a Department of Consumer uh, Affairs, and it used to be, oh, what did it house? Like ten thousand three hundred people, Sean, when they first moved here. I think I think that's what it is. It's it's not Sounds very big at all. Right. So they tilted that up really quickly, and then right down the street, um, which it's if I'm not mistaken, Arco Two, 
Uh, one of them is in Sacramento County, and one of them is in Sacramento City. So they they uh, they're both in the county, but one isn't. One of them is within the city limits, and one of them isn't. And I think it's a second one that isn't within city limits. So then that way, they could do different things without having to worry about the the city ordinances. Um, it was a big mess. Uh, anyway, the second By the way, building. Ten thousand three hundred thirty three. 10,333. Yeah, that's what yeah. I said. 10,300. Yeah. Um, so when they built Arco 2, um, it was the same group of dudes, and basically it was a land grab. All of the area out there that you see, the whole Natoma is all where all of, like, I don't know, where Walmart is and Target and everything off the freeway right there at Truxel, that was all unincorporated farmland. And the deal was that in order to move the team here and to build the arenas, they allowed the investors to convert the unincorporated farmland into commercial property and residential property. And that's how it was a gigantic land grab, basically. So building the arena, I think Arco Arco 2 cost, I want to say it was $65 million to build. And then they got to the end and they were broke. And they didn't have enough to do the acoustical finish inside. So there was supposed to be like, you know, batting on the ceiling to keep the sound in. So it didn't just bounce and go crazy. But uh, ownership group ran out of money. And to be honest, they never really had money again. That like that group, you know, they made a bunch off of the land, but then like to build out the arena they just kind of left it that way and so it was really really echoey but it was also phenomenal for trapping in sound and having sound bounce back and forth and like when you, you went to a playoff game there the whole building felt alive no question like like you walk around and you can feel the sound it was so it was so wild i remember was it elston turner who they they said they could hear it so loud in the locker room, which is underneath the stands, that it was like deafening. They're like, we can't even hardly hear in the locker room. This is nuts. And I was at the uh, the 1995-96 playoff series against Seattle. Absolutely incredible. I, actually, it was a lot of fun because when you're driving in, you have all these Kings fans, and but there are a ton of Seattle fans too that traveled and you know these giant green flags everywhere. And, but... Even at that time, they didn't have multiple entrance and exits. They really, they only had two. They had screwed up in the way. So Truxel, that main strip, wasn't even there. So you had to, like, everyone got off at uh, at Northgate and then got in a bottleneck and got stuck, or they got off I-5 at Del Paso and tried to get over there, and it was just a mess. What we see now and how sort of the modern freeway system and the modern street system around that completely changed. Uh, so anyway, they ran out of money, and that's that's why it was such a bad arena for for concerts, but a phenomenal arena for uh, for basketball. I mean, and the wooden, like the whole lower bowl was uh, wooden stanchions, so fans would pound their feet and do the Arco Thunder. Uh, and they, that was something they wanted to do when they they brought when they uh, well when they built Arco One, they did it and they built wooden stanchions there on the cheap. And then when they built Arco Two, there was so much noise that was generated from those wooden floors that they did it at Arco Two as well, as far as the uh, 
the development of the building itself. They're like, oh, we got to do the wooden floors so we can have the Arco Thunder feel, uh, which is lost at, at Golden One, which is one downfall. It's just like pitter patter on. on well, you don't have floors. that. Uh, you don't have that noise meter on the side of King's Vision anymore, and you, you used to see the little things that popped yeah. off the top. You know, you don't. You don't have really have that. So I think people's goal was always to. I don't think they realized that it didn't really make a difference, but they were trying to get the that noise meter up, and you know, yeah, you had something visual. It was a fun building. I mean, it, the last, uh, you know, because what I, I think I covered four years there. It was a whole, maybe five years, right? I think uh, Golden One Center opened in 2015. Um, but uh, even when uh, when Vivek bought the team, he did a bunch of work inside the building just to get it to to upgrade it to where we could get the extra couple of years out of it, waiting for the new arena to be built. And he did a lot of nice things. Like, well, it was necessary, man. I mean, the NBA standards were were that. I mean, you look at that just that visiting locker room alone. And oh, some God. of the stuff that they poured into it. I mean, it was. It wasn't that much better. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But I mean, yeah. it did make it did make a huge difference. Uh, even even in the even in a temporary setting. Yeah. Yeah. So Brendan, the workroom in Golden One Center uh, is twice the size of the visiting locker room. The workroom wow. in the back room. Yeah. 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 It, it was a nightmare. So. Mental uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think my favorite, uh, like that first series was amazing. Um, I got to see a couple of like the 2001, 2002 playoff runs. I was in the building for those. Um, I think one of my favorite was I was at the final game of, what is it, the 98-99 season um, when John Stockton retired. Um, So his final uh, regular season game. And then in the playoffs, I was at the playoff game as well and watching mm-hmm. uh, a visiting team give a guy a standing ovation uh, was just such a, an amazing sign of respect for John Stockton. And James, if you is... remember in that playoff game, when they did that, both he and Malone walked off the floor together. They had both yeah. subbed out at the same time and they're walking off and you see Kings fans recognize the moment. Like Kings are moving on. They've just ended the career of John Stockton, maybe even Carl Malone, because I mean he went to the Lakers next. But no one, no one really knew like what was in store for him. But the last two times they were Jazz teammates walking off the floor was at Arco Arena. That was a pretty special moment. Yeah, and it's also one of those moments where it ended. That was the end of that dynasty of of the Utah Jazz. And for people who you know they didn't win a championship, but it was it was because they played in the Jordan era. That was a team that could have won two or three championships. They were that good. Uh, yeah, so it was interesting to watch sort of the end of an era. I don't, I got to see a ton of great games there, a lot of stuff. Like I remember going in when I was super young and like Ralph Sampson signed an autograph. He signed, I think, my ticket, um, which was cool. But, I mean, he was so incredibly tall. That was the first. And I saw Manute Bowl play. That was fun. Um, and then one time I snuck down on the floor and was like four rows up because we saw some seats that were open and we snuck down. And it was against the jazz and watching like Thurl Bailey and Carl Malone and seeing just how tremendously huge Carl Malone was. It, it was different. So what, what's the loudest you guys have heard golden one so far? Hmm. I think mine, and I haven't been uh, close to him as so many games as you guys is weirdly Bagley summer league dunk. 
Huh. I thought the building got really loud uh, for that one. And it was just, you know, I think there was maybe obviously some skepticism around Bagley, but there was also a lot of hype at the time. It was his first game, and they were playing the Lakers. He dunked on the Lakers first round. Yeah. I think for me it's Bogey's game winner against the Lakers. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, probably. That, that That's the one where it was – I mean, you know, it's natural. It's a, it's a, it's not a um, – it's just like one of those absolutely instinctual natural reactions from a crowd uh, reacting to an incre- incredible play. Um, that's I think the, probably it. The one other okay, so the first what three years, four years were complete sellouts, Brendan. Like like you couldn't get a ticket, um, so the building was always packed. And, and so if you had like a good play, it usually got pretty noisy. Uh, I think the other one is when Scott Moke summoned DeMarcus Cousins back out of the locker room. That was one where Cousins was ejected for spitting his mouthpiece at the Spurs bench, and he kept saying that he it fell out of his mouth, which, like, the video evidence is, <laughs> says slightly different. Um, but, uh, you know, he gets tossed from the game, and he was having an incredible game. Um, and then they Scott Moe called him back out. That was that was one of those moments where like the place went nuts as he came out. I mean, it was basically the Kings' Willis Reed moment, you know, or or like the Undertaker coming out from the. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, that's the Undertaker's music, and here he comes running out of the, you know, the tunnel. I'm not a wrestling guy, but I, I will also say like, you know, with res- just for concert purposes, and I wasn't at the show because I'd seen it so many times already, but. It's kind of like this um, if you were there uh, moment where Travis Scott was here. And Travis Scott, uh, the show was just unbelievable uh, at Golden One, that Astroworld um, tour that came through. And I was at the Kanye show where he walked off the, walked off the platform. But before that, the crowd was incredible because it was him and Kid Cudi. And Kid Cudi and him had had a, a you know a beef, and they had a falling out, and now you know they're they're not on terms again anymore either. But uh, he started the show, came out, he had Kid Cudi on with him, and the whole time I'm thinking that's not Kid Cudi. Like I was the first the first few minutes of it, I was like that's not Kid Cudi. He's he's like trolling or something, and uh, certainly it, it ended up being Kid Cudi. And he went on for what four songs, started ranting, and then left, and it was it was quite a quite a scene. Yeah, I've seen a lot of concerts there uh, i think it's either 10 or 11 concerts i've seen so far golden one it's a it's an incredible venue and i'm reminded I'm, I'm, I'm reminded by looking behind me by the way right there you were talking about golden or uh, arco arena memories that kanye west uh glow in the dark poster that i have is one of the best concerts i've ever seen and it was started with lupe fiasco <clears throat> n-e-r-d rihanna and kanye west and that was the that came through arco arena Wow. Uh, yeah, but Brendan, it got to a point where concerts wouldn't come through anymore. Like, major concerts wouldn't come mm. through. Um, because Arca was so bad, and it just kept getting worse. And they didn't really have, like, the start treatment rooms. So, like, there there are rooms at Golden One Center, that lounges and stuff, that we don't get our hands on. Um, that are for, you know, big, big acts. And they come in, and that just wasn't golden one anymore and they couldn't sell out multiple tickets i mean multiple multiple concerts a lot of big um you know big name performers want to 
wanted to sell out two or three nights at an arena and, and like stay in the city and then move to the next one um and you couldn't do that with arco they just like everything had died down so much because the building was so bad um anyway uh we've spent a lot of time talking about the uh arco arena and the demolition um i'm sure damien barling damien's gonna be pissed about that sorry damien um we said our goodbyes again i I don't i I didn't need to say a goodbye like i I went and got seats uh when they were given they i have uh seats up in my my game room upstairs from uh from arco like some blue seats that i built like stanchions for in their our game room upstairs so yeah i said my goodbyes like the final games and i didn't feel like i needed to go back but uh yeah interesting stuff while we're on the show here um it does appear that they are going to uh retire league wide the number six worn by bill russell uh and so that's something that's going to happen they're going to grandfather in some players that currently have number six um but that's that's a pretty big deal what do you what are your guys thoughts on that for sacramento uh six has already been retired for the six man so um won't really have a huge thing here but i think it's a brilliant move by the nba to honor such a great man and bill russell and it's the only one that's had his you know, you think of Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all these guys that have come through. None of those guys have had a – it's the first time they've actually retired a number um, league-wide, much like, you know, 42 is retired in Major League Baseball mm-hmm. for Jackie Robinson. So uh, he's the equivalent, in my opinion, uh, to that and what he stood for and what he was. So uh, if there was ever anyone you are going to do it for, number six is absolutely the one to do it. Uh, I'm – I think it's a tremendous act and, and, and for them to do and uh, in honor of a great man. And, you know, yeah, letting let it, LeBron changes his number quite a few times already. So um, to see, let him play it out, sure. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him change his number again before the start of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, didn't they try to do this with Jordan in a way? Or Miami did it themselves? And we're hoping people would follow. Am I remembering this right? I think so. I think that's why LeBron wears number six, right? Because he originally was 23. I think you're right. I think they did try to. I believe Miami has 23 retired for Jordan. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I obviously very much appreciate everything Bill Russell stood for. And I think that his impact goes so far beyond just on the court. And that's why this makes a lot of sense to me. But it'll be interesting to see, like, is this just a one-off thing or is there going to be one or two other people in the future that they do the same thing for? Um, I don't know. Interesting. Very surprising. I didn't think they would do this for someone. It makes sense of all people, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he was a groundbreaker though in so many different ways. So, I mean, it make, I understand it. Plus, you know, longevity, um, you know, Wilt was incredible. Um, you know, put up much bigger stats than Bill Russell, but didn't win all of the, the championships. And I think this is one where you're retiring a number not for just his play on the court, for, but for what he meant for the game. And I think that they're like Jordan would be the one that I would, you know, kind of be surprised if they didn't go that way at some point. But I, I don't think they will. I think that they'll probably stick with one number. And I, I how many numbers do the Kings have retired? Um, they've retired pages. <laughs> And Vlade, and so 21, uh, 16. You're talking about in the Sacramento era? Four. 
they've retired well-known total. They've retired Mitch's number, two. They've retired Jack Twyman and Maurice Stokes, right? Yeah. And, and so, then so the numbers, you almost have them all. And Oscar. So you, so you got 1, 2, 4, 6, 11, 12, 14, 16, 21, 27, and 44. Okay. Interesting. So so now number six, you can't wear number six. Well, but what Sean well, said, you could wear Yeah, it, it was already anyways. for the six man. Yeah. Which is there any other team that did something like that? I felt like that six man thing was weird to me. I, I think there is actually. I'm trying to remember who somebody else had. I think had, had done it. Does Seattle but... do that uh, with uh, the Seahawks? I know it's a different sport, but the twelfth man. Have, uh, yeah. Probably. No, because what was Russell Wilson's number? I do not know. I, but yeah, just... I thought that was a weird decision in the first place. Um, in, in Sacramento though, it was different because the fan base was, uh, I mean, again, like 19 Seahawks, first, go ahead. Seahawks do have 12 retired for the, for the fan. Okay. Um, so 19 of the first 20, uh, 21 seasons were 100% sellouts. Like again, getting a ticket at, at Arco arena was nearly impossible. Uh, I've told this story before. Like when I was younger, I, I would, I would hitchhike into I, I didn't live that far from the arena i would hitchhike into the arena so i didn't have to pay parking and i would buy standing room only tickets for four bucks by myself i would just go to games and hang out because the atmosphere is crazy and then you could always go find a seat because someone doesn't show up uh, so i i would go to games <laughs> uh yeah because you know you got nothing going on like might as well go catch a game it's fun you know sit there and watch basketball uh i did that i don't know maybe a handful of times when i was young um, anyway, uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, do you guys think, should they, should they retire another Jersey outside of, uh, Russell? I mean, do you think that, or should they just stick with a team based thing? You're talking about league wide. Yeah. If they did it for Jordan, I'd be totally on bar on board with that. You're right. Brendan, the Miami heat did, uh, did retire Jordan's number, but, um, yeah, if they did, I'd be totally cool with it. I know 23 is such a popular number, though, and you've had so many people wear it um, in honor of Jordan. And I I, I kind of wonder if you pulled Jordan aside, if, you know, I know he is, he feels himself a little bit, kind of a little egomaniac a little bit. So <laughs> Just a little uh, bit, shot. Uh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as he should, as he should, even yeah. the competitive nature that he has. But I truly wonder if he would be, I, I think he'd be totally fine with other people I think he'd almost get a bigger kick out of seeing people wear his his jersey in honor of him. I mean, famously, obviously, LeBron James was the guy that wore twenty three in, in honor of him. So, um, I would think that that's a bigger honor in his mind than having twenty three retired in every building. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It feels too late to do that. Like if you were gonna do it do it when Miami did like I don't know it, there's already so many people that have worn 23 and I don't know it in my mind there's bigger numbers look weird and I don't want to retire all the numbers that look good on jerseys to be honest um, I feel like bigger numbers are weird and if you retire too many all of a sudden you're just like not left with all that much and I guess I'm thinking far too in advance and Sacramento hey. doesn't really have to worry about this problem right now but you can so always many. go past 99. You can get 100, <laughs> 100 101. Can you? <laughs> sure. Are you not? allowed to? I mean, no, you're not allowed no. to. But I'm saying all it takes is the commissioner to say, hey, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're running out of numbers. Time to open it up. 
Yeah, I mean, I think 23 is so iconic. I, I think if we think of numbers, uh, player numbers, I mean, you remember, like, what, Bird is 33, Magic mm-hmm. Johnson's 32. 32. Uh, you know, you have the the numbers that Kobe wore, which is 8 and 24, right? Yeah. Um, Keon Ellis is 34. Here yeah. we go. Keon Ellis is 34. There's, there's, Who else there's wore 34 game. in Sacramento? 30, Corliss Williamson did. Yeah, Corliss. And he wore four and, and 34. Wore four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, when Weber came on board. Um, I want to say Michael Smith. Michael the Animal Otis Smith. Thorpe. Did Otis Thorpe wear 34? 34? Oh, I thought Otis Thorpe was 36. I, I might be wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, iconic numbers. I mean, it, it. Jason Thompson. Jason. Oh, man, we forgot the the <laughs> player with the most games in Sacramento Longest Kings tenured. history. Longest tenure. No Otis Thorpe. No Otis Thorpe. Interesting. Um, yeah, there is a page you can look at where it has every single yeah. number. Otis Tony Massenburg. Tony Massenburg. Oof, yep. that's a that's a good poll, Sean. Ricky Barry in the Sacramento era, it was Ricky Barry, Bill Wennington, LeBradford Smith, Michael Smith, Corliss Williamson, Tony Massenburg, and Jason Thompson. Okay, so I was right. It was uh, yeah, uh, Brian Grant wore thirty three, and Michael yeah. Smith wore thirty four. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, greatest number 34 in Sacramento Kings history on the way. All right. Okay. Take <laughs> he, he's convinced. You know what? Uh, that brings us uh, – we're going to – What? what is the – we'll start with Brendan. Brendan, what is the most exciting position battle that you want to see play out? Uh, it, it can be, like, just for minutes or for a starting job, but, like, what is – which one stands out when you're like, man, I can't wait to see what happens there? I think it's the two guards, but almost constricting it to like calling it two guards is weird to me because I think that like Davion is intriguing to me as well. I feel like there's one spot left in the closing lineup. Like I feel like Harrison Barnes, um, De'Aaron Fox, and DeMontis Sabonis are obviously in there. I personally think that Keegan is going to be as well. Um, or So maybe there's two spots, but between like Keegan and Herter is probably where I would go more often than not. But I think that... There's going to be a night where Malik Monk makes a lot of sense. I think there's going to be a night where Davion Mitchell works alongside De'Aaron Fox, and he's so impactful on the defensive end, it's hard to take him off the floor. Like, Terrence Davis has his moments. Um, So I I think that there's a lot of good options at the two-guard spot. I think the backup four is intriguing to me, but I think that's more so I don't think that there's all too many great options. So the two spot interests me a little bit more because I I think there's a – variety of different options that provide different things on the floor sean what do you got yeah um i suppose so uh i think uh i don't think it's any of the starter starting battles i don't really i don't really see much of a starting battle there like um you know yeah, i would i would kind probably of like two options right i mean we yeah kinda... i mean I, I think like i said like if i'm in if i'm running the team <laughs> thank god we're not but yeah i would start keegan uh keegan murray right away yep um i don't know that that'll happen though i'm not convinced that that'll happen uh but i think he will end up being your starter this season regardless of how that plays out but i don't really feel like that's a uh i don't think that's one of the the the, the groupings that i'm looking at and have the most intrigued by i think the one i have the most intrigued by is how they play the two three um scenarios you know, I, I I think it's pretty clear to me that it's going to be Kevin Herter as a starter at the two. I think he's definitely going to play minutes at the three. And I think there's moments where you're going to see him and Monk on the floor together. 
So I think that's fine. To me, it's I, I have more of a question mark around uh, like um, some of what happens with like what happens with somebody like Terrence Davis because I can kind of see him not playing at all. Um, so I, I think those are the position battles that that are a little bit more intriguing to me. Um, I don't see. I still have a little bit of a question mark of what happens with Rashawn Holmes and 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 how that plays out. So. These are all things that will kind of unfold in training camp and preseason and, and all that. And I, I do think that Mike Brown's going to keep a pretty tight rotation. I don't think we'll see that necessarily in the preseason, however. I think we're you know, you're going to see a lot of guys play in the preseason, um, at least in, at least I would imagine. I, uh, I, I think it's going to I think it's going to have opportunity for guys because you're going to want to see somebody play along somebody and see if it works and have a sample size. And I know you don't have a lot of preseason games, but I don't think these preseason games are necessarily going to replicate what you see in the first couple weeks of, uh, of the season. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of down with, I want to see who makes the final roster. That's one of my sort of my position battle thing, because I think right now we see the, the Del Vadova, um, Quinn cook, uh, situation playing out. Um, I, I think we're going to see Chima Moneki and Casey Akpala and I'll even throw in uh, Chimezi Metu. Um, you know, two of those guys I think will make the roster. One of the point guards I think will make the roster. But that's kind of the one where I think this is one of those years where you at least have some intriguing names at that back end. I mean, it's always possible that Kent Bazemore doesn't make the roster. I mean, just like to be totally honest, I mean, I, I think he will, but there's also there's potential there for him not just because you got a bunch of younger players that um, have kind of, you know, they're, they're part of uh, the Mike Brown sort of tree. So, so there's a possibility, but uh, I want to see, I want to see if, uh, you know, Chima Moneki not only can like stun some people, uh, you know, and earn a roster spot, but also if he can, if he can actually, uh, sort of unseat somebody and make it to the rotation somehow. And I don't know how, even if it's in a minor role, like a 10 to 12 minutes a game type situation. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I'm walking into camp with. I want to, I think we know that like Keegan Murray is going to start at some point. I think he's going to play 28 minutes a game as a rookie, maybe a little bit more at the four. So I'm not so concerned about that. Uh, I'm not, you know, Sabonis is clearly going to play like 35 minutes. Uh, there are some question marks about who can play the the four and how many minutes you're going to give to this guy or that guy. How many minutes can you steal at the three to give the guards uh, extra minutes? Um, like all of those are intriguing to me, but I still, I want to see who kind of makes it out of the, uh, that lower tier, that, that group of players that are NBA hopefuls or uh, whether they're veterans or, or they're young guys trying to make it. I've seen some people on socials like suggesting like, oh, keep Bazemore and Moneki and like cut Alex Len. I'm like, this makes no sense to me. I think that keeping that third string big is important, especially when Holmes is somebody that you would consider moving on from. Um, I think having that extra big is important. I think it's easy to forget that I think Alex Len is like a pretty quality backup big. I think some teams were getting away with him as a starting big, and I don't know that that's ideal, but I, I think he's a quality player. And to me, like, uh, it has to come down to Cook and Della Vadova and then Bazemore versus Monecki. 
He just was not good last year, though. Alex. Yeah. There's a lot going on. And so, like, I like I can see, like, I can see, like, if you he had did. To, that's a good point. He did have a lot going on. No, he did, but I mean, that's also part of the second half of the, you know, latter, latter, latter part of the season. Like, he wasn't no, totally. good even to the start. Like, I didn't think he was a, a, a positive for them. Um, but I, but you know, part of it too is is. I, like if you if you're looking at the roster and there's guys that maybe you would rather not have, I, I can see the people carving him out and saying like I don't think you release him, but I think you know when you're having conversations with other teams and trying to move on from a guy, you know, figure it out. You know, you figure out your roster. Um, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It's- like that's why like like guaranteeing Trey Lyles for example, right? It's such a small amount of money. Um, yeah, you had to. Wise. You yeah. had to do it, right? So you still have him on roster, but it's a very movable piece if you put mm-hmm. a put a package together. It's like you can he's a toss in, you know, and maybe that team ends up cutting him if they don't need him, whatever, and then he can go find whatever, but um you know, I I don't see anybody being stretched or cut, you know, right now. Yeah, see, that's an interesting what what Sean brings up there is um, Trey Lyles and Alex Len together is six point seven million dollars. You can go up twenty five percent plus a hundred k, so you can almost go up to what a eight and a half million dollar player just for those two. So there's no way I, I don't think there's any way you'll see Alex Len get cut because he's going to have value as an expiring contract during the season, and you know it, it's good to have. A $2.6 million player, a $4 million player, a $1.8 million player, $2.2 million player. It's good to have all of those salary slots. So when you go to make a deal and you need to move pieces around, they can kind of fit in. I mean, if you Which take, is exactly what just happened with Harkless and Justin Holiday. Yeah, yeah. So my point would be if you look at, you know, uh, what is it, $18.3 million for Harrison Barnes. Now you start adding in the 6.7 that you've got. So what's that? 19, that's 25 million bucks right there, right? Um, Wow, that's, I think, exactly 25 million bucks. If you look at the package of Harkless and, I mean, of uh, of Len and Lyles and and, uh, Harrison Barnes. Barnes. So again, now we can go up uh, uh, 25% on that. So that's a lot of money. That's it's like you can go up like six million bucks there, plus a hundred k. So you can go up to like thirty one million dollars in salary that you can take back just with those three players. And I don't think you're going to get something like spectacular, but I also think that if there's a team that decides that they're not going to compete and don't want to compete, and they have a player or two that they're ready to move on from, you might be able to swing a deal that goes goes and gets you like some players that fit better. And so I don't think you're going to see some of these guys like the bigger contracts, the bigger of the small contracts, I don't think will will get moved. I think they'll be on the roster on opening day. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. Yeah, makes sense to me. That's and that's why that's exactly what you have in mind when you do it. And, you know, as you approach trade deadlines and teams decide whether they're in or they're out. And those are the decisions that, that get that get made, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. It's nothing spectacular that you're going to bring in, but it could be for it could be an impactful player for sure. Yeah, even like the combination of Rashawn Holmes and Len and Trey Lyles, that can fetch you like a twenty million dollar player. 
And there might be a team that says, okay, we'll take on two, two and a half years of homes uh, and then save another bunch of money on expiring contracts, you know, upwards of 10 million bucks that you can save in order to give up and, and give up a player that, you know, isn't part of their future. Yeah, I think Harrison Barnes, the way that they acquired Harrison Barnes is, is somewhat similar. It was Dallas wanting to feeling like it was time to move on from him and their matching salaries that Sacramento sent out. What is Zebo and uh, Justin Jackson weren't exactly contributors. It was just primarily matching salary. Well, Zebo wasn't a contributor at all. They'd sent right. Zebo home that year. And I mean, they were paying him, what was it? $12 million or 13 million bucks. Uh, yeah, that that's what I'm talking about. I, I think there's there are going to be those moves. There are always those types of moves where you can go out and get a guy who's on a two, three, four year deal that just doesn't work or doesn't fit. So I think this year specifically, there hasn't been a lot of movement, but you start circling December 15th when a lot of these guys that were signed or acquired during uh, during the summer can can be moved again. Um, yeah, uh, that kind of brings me to the other point that. We're seeing this weird situation. We talked a little bit about the Durant situation on the last pod. But now we're seeing that, uh, you know, first of all, the Nets are asking for astronomical craziness. Uh, the Celtics rumor this morning was they asked for Brown and Tatum for Durant. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> not Yeah. <laughs> um, but it leads us to like a, a larger global conversation in the NBA about players trying to call their shots and like not only does he want out of Brooklyn but he he really likes the Celtics and he really likes Philadelphia like to what end where do we go with this where you got players who are on I mean he's under contract for what like four years and almost 200 million bucks and he doesn't want to be there that's number one but number two he's starting to say well this is where I'd like to go this is where I'd like to go and like when does this end like how do how do we get to a spot and and is this i guess maybe a better question is this killing the like the star the that you know that where teams are chasing the big three type deal Hmm. I, i don't have much issue with it like i think that him expressing the places that he wants to go like i don't see much of a problem with that i feel like Kawhi did something similar and it doesn't stop teams like toronto not on that list from still acquiring him and you just like know ahead of time that we'll have to try to pitch him to stay he doesn't want to be here initially um and and maybe you can't convince him or maybe you can't and it still feels worth the risk like but you're pitching i'm just going to point out you're pitching a guy who's under contract for four years at almost 200 million that he's got to you know whether or not he stays i think that's my point i think it's different of if a team is like, no, we're not going to move you, is he still going to sh- suit up and, and play the games no matter? Like, I think it's a different situation if you were to completely hold out, where if, like, you can want to be moved, but if the team doesn't want to move you, then that is what it is, and I still think you should go out there and play. So if that's happening, like, I don't have too much issue with it personally. I mean, Kevin Durant, when we talked about is, you know, one of the top few players in the NBA and him doing this is a bit of an anomaly. Maybe. Um, I don't love when guys, I don't mind guys uh, demanding trades. I really don't because you know, an organization can trade you at a drop of a hat. You do have guaranteed contracts in the NBA. So this isn't quite the NFL, but (laughs) to the point of like being able to pick your destination. I mean, remember rewind where, you know, the, 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 
you know, the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard. Okay. It's kind of probably the first time you saw it get ugly between a team and a player where there's just not going to be, uh, you, where you got a guy basically sitting out and being away from a team and, and just waiting for him to be moved. Uh, to that point, like, they traded him to the betterment of their team. And, uh, you know, they do so by moving him to Toronto at the time. Toronto wins a championship, you know, and famously. With with Durant, you have to understand, like, the agents are behind a lot of these trades, meaning that they do the legwork on so many of these trades, these scenarios, uh, and, and to bring it to the team. Now, it's a, they work in hand-in-hand to try to make something happen. But as we talked about in the last podcast, despite the tweet that you know Joe Sai put out there you know Sean Marks not may not be there in a month <laughs> it's very possible so who's you know you almost need to rely on the guys like Rich Kleiman to 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 find these deals to move um and again it's unusual especially considering you've got a guy who's got team control you don't have these early opt outs that like LeBron famously puts in his deals um so with KD being, and again, I also think people don't realize that like the money that KD makes, yes, that's that's a lot of money. We get it, and he loves to. Play, fortunately, he loves to play basketball, but he also makes way more money in his Nike contract. Like the guy makes an obscene amount of money with his Nike contract, so he's made a ton of money. Um, if if it got ugly, it would shock me to see him not play and sit out and ruin his kind of the legacy because he is in the prime of his career, but you don't really have a whole lot of leeway there. But again, when you say you want to go to Boston, if you're Brooklyn, you're like, hell yeah, that's a good return of somebody. I, if I'm moving Kevin Durant, I can get a pretty good return as opposed to moving him to uh, maybe Miami or maybe to Cleveland or something like that. Um, even Phoenix, like Phoenix is a one that still, I don't feel is going where. In fact, I still think Phoenix makes the most sense to, to move him because you look at someone like Devin Booker and you could, you would definitely want him back. So um, whether it happens or not remains to be seen, but you're going to try to find the best situation for your team first and foremost, but a lot of those tend to work out favorably towards Kevin Durant's camp as well. Um, uh, you know, with the Spurs thing, I was always like, hey, you know, when it came to Kawhi Leonard, if the Spurs are doing the right thing, I'd be like, all right, ruin your ruin your life, ruin your career. We'll trade you when we feel like we can get something the, the, the most for you. I think they did. I think they, they found a, a deal that worked for them. Uh, I still don't think they got enough, if you're asking me. I mean, they, they didn't, and I think it's pretty fair. And you literally gave Toronto a championship. But um, I think it's because they tried to stay relevant. They tried to get a win-now piece back. And I think more often than not, those type of trades, it's like teams need to be going in opposite directions. Well, and it was also the Spurs. Like, think about that. Like, like you've, you, you've got uh, a superstar player thumbing his nose at literally Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford, who's been like the gold standard for – better part of two decades so uh, <laughs> that's that's something that's pretty rare it's not necessarily you know uh, a, a messed up situation like a clippers or a or even a lakers where there's been so much turmoil or whatever or even the kings where you know fortunately you haven't really had guys if they've requested trades have, have made it kind of small and, and and it's not something where they're refusing to show up and refusing to play yeah i mean we have like the buddy hilled sort of request um, right, and it was more behind the scenes request, and and it was like, okay, if we can find a spot for you, we'll find a spot for you. Right, we can't, and he's 
he show he still up played. And, and play yeah. and and he played every day i mean buddy Hield wants to play every he wanted to day. play more yeah he wanted yeah. to play more well i mean they did incentivize him playing i mean that was one thing he he had it his incentives one of them was that he played i think it's 70 or 72 games i think it was 70 70 games in the season and buddy Hield's only missed like uh, four games his entire career um yeah it's interesting i I don't like that like sort of the league is being held hostage by this situation, but then again, it's, it's August and it's good for the league, I guess, to have your name mentioned every single day as a potential, you know, trade partner or whatever. Uh, I mean, you're just getting, you're getting business drummed up during a dead time of the year, which I, I think, you know, the NBA has always kind of been like, they like having their name out there as much as possible, just like you know the Sacramento Kings like having their name out there as much as possible. At least this group does. Uh, yeah, I just think it it does seem to. At some point, I mean, there should be. I don't like if you sign a contract, you sign a contract, and I know that in the NBA they can just trade you, but it's not the NFL where they can just cut you and right. pay you pennies on the dollar. I mean, you're ba- you're going to get your money no matter where you are. So. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's intriguing to me. So I just don't see this becoming what we just saw with Ben Simmons this past year. Like that would shock yeah. me. That that would shock me. Kevin Durant's going to play basketball, and if he's still on the Nets, he's going to play with the Nets. I just don't see him being like, "Nah, trade me. I'm going to sit out." Like, because because really, if that's a staring contest you want to get into, Kevin Durant would lose. Like, if 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 you really like, <laughs> if if Kevin Durant's not playing basketball for the Nets then the Nets don't have to move him and it's probably better off not playing with anybody else either. Yeah, you're playing you're paying him a, a a ton of money. We get that. But if that's a staring contest that he wants to get into, the league without Kevin Durant would be probably a better return than what the the Nets could really really get anyway, you know, and you're only hurting his he's only hurting his own value, so um again, I just don't think that it would surprise it would be it wouldn't even just surprise me it would be unbelievable of a shocker to me to see him hold out yeah i think the the biggest difference between those two deals that you're talking about when we're when you bring up ben simmons ben simmons played a completely different card it mm-hmm. wasn't the i don't want to play it's that i i have mental health issues and Correct. so he sat down and so when you're talking about a player who doesn't want to play well they can just start you know withholding paychecks to kevin durant if he if he decides he just doesn't want to play, they don't have to pay him. When Ben Simmons, it's a different story. Like you're going to have to pay Ben Simmons because it's you know in America, you're protected at a certain point because you're uh, because it becomes a mental health issue. Well, so. yeah, but whether they're paying him or not, right? Like move that remove that aside. If if KD chose chose not to play for whatever reason, even if he's still getting paid, and they just say go away from the team until we move you. Or, or if he says, I'm just not going to play until you move me, whatever, however that works, even if he's still getting paid, I still feel it's a staring contest the Brooklyn Nets ultimately win by not putting him on another roster to compete against them. Or, you know what I mean? Or, or you know, especially control for four years. Like, if you're playing that long game, you know, it, it, it would it would suck in a way because to not have KD. Everyone loses in that regard, but it's just a it, – it, I just – I can't see KD doing that. I just don't think that's – I don't think that's – I don't think he's that type of guy. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. I, I think the tough thing from the Nets' point of view is, like, they're going to lose the trade. It's Kevin Durant. You're not getting yeah, you're not a player win. as good. Like, And I think it's just hard to accept that you're going to get the short end of the stick this time around. Like, there's three other players in the league that compare to Kevin Durant. Like, 
you're going to lose the trade. And I think the Rudy Gobert trade probably did really mess with the market because, like, you look at someone like Gobert and it's like, well, shoot, they just got four first-round picks. Also, the guy they just took in the first round, if you want to call it five, and a swap, like, then what the heck is Kevin Durant worth? And I think it's just, like, trying to compare those two makes for a complicated market because I think that Gobert got overpaid and he's close to like what they got in return for him is close to the max that you can get from any team. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the problem that we have is that there was one Gobert deal and there might not be another. And, and people have to understand that like the market, sure it spiked. And all of a sudden there are a bunch of teams who think that their players are worth more but it, it's kind of like if you walk into a neighborhood and someone says, hey, we'll offer $2.5 million for that house on the lake. And then the house next door says, oh, man, uh, like you can have my house for $2.5 And they say, okay, we'll take that. Well, then the other house is like, okay, we'll take it too. It's like, well, we already took the other deal. It's like, okay, well, then you go and you put your house on the market for $2.5 million because the house next door just sold for that. And now no one wants to buy it. I mean, sometimes there is only one deal. There is only one deal that's ridiculous and stupid. And, you know, the Danny Ainge could <laughs> keep asking for another one of these deals. Yeah. But he might not get another one. There might not be another one that looks like that. And if your house comps well to that, then refinance if you can't make that deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, right. it's it, you're kind of in this weird situation where it's like, okay. I don't know that uh, that there's going to be a, a, the deal that Danny Ainge wants for, for Donovan Mitchell or the deal that they clearly want. And we keep coming back to this. It, it, it's weird to have a market where you kind of have – you have one super, superstar, and then you have one, like, all-star and a really good young player in Donovan Mitchell, but you have two teams that want something totally different for those. And so you have a team like the Nets that want to stay relevant and you have a team like the Jazz that want to blow it up. And so one team is looking for, you know, six first round picks and the other one, like they're asking for Tatum and Brown. It's like, okay, all of the, it's just wild how different the, the market is for two different teams, I guess is my point. Yeah. And I, and I think even, like, I think the Gobert thing was an overpay, but I think, like, DeJounte Murray's deal somewhat falls into this. Like, people are just throwing first-rounders like crazy, and uh, it just makes it hard to gauge. You know, DeJounte Murray got three first-rounders and a swap. Like, he's a really good player, but Kevin Durant is miles better than a DeJounte Murray, and if Murray got four, you know, like, it's just it's a weird time. So many people are throwing out first-round picks like it's nothing, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Kings gave up a first-round pick for Kevin Herter. And I mean, that's, it's a lot to give up for a guy who averages 12 points a game. So I mean, that's, it's a, you know, I keep saying, and people keep thinking that I don't like Kevin Herter. I love Kevin Herter. I think he's, you know, a fellow ginger and like gingers unite. And uh, I'm super excited to see, uh, you know, what he brings to the table as like an elite three point shooter and stuff, but you're going to walk in the room. You're going to look at him and you just go, Hey, well, people like they, they call him my son, like for my little dude, he's a redhead, but we're not, we're not redhead red. We're strawberry blondes. We're not redhead redheads. Okay. Like Kevin Herter's okay. a, a full fledged <laughs> redhead. Anyway, okay. my, my point down. is that like you gave up a, a first round pick, and not only a first round pick, but you tied up five years of first round picks for a guy who averages twelve points a game. That's a tough pill to swallow, and and I know it's you can't just give away unprotected picks, but 
yeah, this is it, it's weird. First round picks are are getting thrown all over the place. So, and and it seems like OKC seems to catch all of them. Well, now OKC and the Knicks they seem to catch all of the first round picks. They'll take them the all. Big, big butterfly net. And they yeah. catch them all. Big giant butterfly net. Okay, uh, Brendan, did you prepare any uh, facts or caps? Or you? you... Huh. I did uh. not. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if that gave me away. No, Mr. Ham. <laughs> <laughs> you you uh, can't do it every time. Uh, no, no, that's funny. I, I was laughing because it sounded like you were referencing uh, Jeff Spicoli from uh, Fast yeah. Times at Richmond High, which I, is a movie from the early 80s. From the 80s. Brendan, I, think I got one for you. I've heard the name uh, I got one for you. Factor cap, gentlemen. We'll start with Mr. Strawberry Blonde over here. Yeah. <laughs> Davion Mitchell will close 20 games for the Sacramento Kings this season. 20 or more. Factor cap. Fact. Um, really? I, I'll tell you why. Uh, number one, I think he'll get an opportunity for at least 10 on his own. And the other thing, De'Aaron Fox has only played 81 games one time in his career, I believe. He's going to miss games, and Davion will be your starter, and will finish games. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard. That's hard to argue with. I think I, I think James talked me into that one. I was already leaning fact, but with that kind of analysis, I think I'm, I think I'm there. Boom. I could have rethought the number with injuries. It definitely makes sense, but in a healthy lineup, how often do you think Davion is closing? Uh, I I think I think it's something you'll see quite often. Um, I think it depends on the matchup, though. I mean, I think it depends on the team too, and depends on the points. Like, yeah, like, or he could finish games that you pull Fox because you got your ass kicked, or you could pull Fox because you won games. Yeah, I mean, you're dominating somebody. Yeah, yeah. I guess more so. Yeah, thinking of like clutch moments in a close game, like. I, I struggle to think that you're pulling Fox. I, I think it would have to be for, like, Herter or, I mean, H. I don't think HB. It'd be Herter or Keegan in my mind. Like, I don't know. I could see games where, where Damian Lillard is out there, uh, where Steph Curry is out there, like these dominant point guards, and Davion has been having a good night against them, where maybe that makes sense. But I but think when will that more Keon often than Ellis not, play? Come on now. <laughs> well, that's just yeah. that's your moment yeah. right there for Keon Ellis to step up and stop somebody. Yeah, I figured I didn't need to ask the question; it was obvious already. <sighs> did yeah. you Did you agree with twenty? Uh, I I think that I will say fact when it comes to Davion. Right for the twenty closing games, I'll say fact because you did get me on the injuries. When when guys are out, I think that Davion will be one of those top options. Um, and De'Aaron does miss a handful of games, but I think when they're healthy. I think you might see like Monk closing games more often because he's on mm. fire. Mm. Like I, I, mm. I don't know. It, it mm. a lot, a lot depends no. on how much progress Brendan, we see from no. Davion shooting. No, Brendan. Monk, Monk will have <laughs> a game here that, and there CD. though. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the three point progress is there with Davion, it's a different story. But you know, I'm a skeptical. I'm with you. I'm with. So I keep like. People overreact to certain. Like, if we're discussing, like, Chima Moneki, Casey Akpala, uh, like, when we're having that discussion, it, it's not because we think that those are, like, star NBA players. 
we're having the discussion because they're part of the rotation. Uh, they're part of the, the team, and we discuss every part of the team. Um, and I think people are like, oh, man, all these Kings fans think that uh, that Malik Monk is so much better than he is. And I, I heard this from a Lakers fan the other day. And, like, first up, I don't think any of us have said, oh, my gosh, like, Malik Monk is going to average 25 a game, and, like, this is the end-all, be-all. The Kings, like, got a steal. I hate to tell a Laker fan this, but the Lakers got worse by losing Malik Monk. Like Malik Monk is a better player than um, Lonnie, Walker. Lonnie Walker. There's no question about that. So like, no, he's not a game changer, but he can be a really good player in a rotation of players. He can be your leading scorer off the bench, certainly for this team, but we have to be realistic about who and what he is. I mean, uh, you're hoping that he's Bobby Jackson, you're not hoping that he's, you know, Mike Bibby. Like, I think Kings fans are being honest with themselves in that and, like, understand the expectations with, with each of these players. Not, I mean, maybe I'm crazy. And I know, like, there are, like, the good people of Portugal believe that Namias Keita is a frontline starter. Uh, but I wonder why. I wonder why. Well, it's because Start I put out Holmes videos all the time. It's because every time he does anything, I tweet something, Sean. What do you mean? What I know mean? why. No, but I mean, you got you have to feed the beast and like let them see their guy. But at the same time, like we're realistic about who and what each of these players are. I don't think anyone we're expecting to just become someone that they're not. The only guy that like realistically is Herder, who I think all of us agree could average well over twelve points a game as a Sacramento King. Am I am yeah. I wrong? Everyone else, no, we, we kind of know. I mean, you expect some change in what uh davion mitchell did statistically you expect keegan murray to have some sort of rookie progression and become better but outside of that the one player that we think that can improve greatly statistically is probably kevin herter yeah. right am no, i crazy agreed. yeah definitely yeah i mean keegan's the one that you still do. i mean he's he's a he's a question mark because he's a rookie that's just yeah. natural so you don't know you know quite you know what he can bring to the game but you don't know statistically where that's going to be. So I, I would caution a little bit there. But, that yeah, that's about the only one that we're really anticipating a huge leap from would be Kevin Herter based off of more touches alone. I mean, he was at a he played with a guy who was a bulk shooter. And, you know, you're going to be needing a lot of shooting on this team. And you've got – you don't have a guy that's, that's chucking 25, 30 shots a game. So Interesting. There you go. I have one right. more for you guys if you want. All right. Factor cap. What do you got Quickly. for us? All right. Quickly. Quick one. Quick hitter. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis will have at least seven triple doubles next season. Last year, he managed five. The year before, he had nine. Sean Cunningham, at least seven triple doubles for DeMontis Sabonis. Factor cap. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'll go. I'll say f- that's a big uh, number. That's a big number. That's a big number. I'll say fact. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's uh, entirely possible. I think it's entirely possible as well. The guy's Will a walking double double, so that part's yeah. easy. And he's kicking out to more shooting than he's ever had in sat well than he's ever had. He didn't have anything last year, but so yeah, I think I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, I agree. But like seven is a little high of a number. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty big. It's I, like I went between big. the five and nine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's six, seven, eight, nine. 
they, he'll have a, a around there. So, yep. I'll go with fact as well. All right. Oh. Yeah, why not? Excellent. Keon's going to hit all those shots that he times them up. <laughs> there it is. On the back what's, of what's, Keon Ellis. What's the over-under of how many games Keon Ellis actually plays? Are we, are we ready to say in that Stockton yet? or? In, no, in Sacramento. <laughs> uh, I think this is the end of the episode, Sean. Yeah. Let me marinate on that one. 12. 12 <laughs> is the over-under, Brendan. Total? Yeah. No, it's a tough one. I'm going to be in Stockton tough. a lot. There it is. I'm going to hold you to that. Well, I mean, if you're getting the tattoo on your like left yeah. chest, you, you need to make sure that you, you got a, a good We're representation. A small one on your right ankle. eyebrow. <laughs> oh. Yeah, something like that. That's Working reserved the for the PPP movement, uh, Brennan, the, above the eyebrow. The, I, the, I don't know if I want you to clarify what you're talking about here. That is <laughs> the Willie Cauley Stein oh, tattoo. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're still not sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we have any final questions? And by final questions, because someone asked if whether Sean understood what final question, I mean, any final thoughts? What final thoughts? Final thoughts. What final thoughts means <clears throat> is whatever you want to put out there as a final thought. So, yeah, Brennan, we'll start my with thought. Yeah, it's it's uh, no, let, Brennan, we'll start with you. Final thoughts. Uh, I just hate when. You ask someone about their final thoughts and they don't keep it on topic and just start ranting about themselves. But that's all I really got. <laughs> Nothing else on my end. My final thought is I love how many people uh, love to tell us what this podcast is. Like, like someone was saying, oh, you need your own Twitter account. No, we don't. We each have our own individual Twitter accounts. Why the fuck would we get a King's Beat podcast Twitter account? That just makes no goddamn sense. Like, why would we do that? I mean, that that's, that's individually just, that doesn't make any sense. And then people go, oh, like, even me, your final thought. Like, oh, it should be on, it should be on brand with King's Beat. Really? Tell me what else this podcast should be. Like, I, who cares? Who cares? Time do you stamps. see, hey, you know, I... <laughs> I I do this because I like it. I do this, you know, the minute that someone tells me what I should do, I'm not. So we talk about the Kings primarily for, we're at an hour 20 right now. God knows why. It's August 11th. We should have been done at an hour. But <laughs> or like here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to these two gentlemen. It It's fun. I have a blast doing it. And you know what? If you're talking Kings 24-7, get a life. <laughs> so here we are. I can. Yeah. My final thoughts are just that. I'll add That's this. Why, too. But by the way, hold on. I, I must say that I'm. I'm just teasing. I wanted to be the. I wanted to turn heel for a minute there. But I actually love comments. Like when people are too nice, I go, "Why are they being too nice?" And then when people just absolutely slam, I actually kind of get amusement out of it. So, um, it, it people are people at the end. Of it. The, the, the the whatever entices somebody to want to actually comment or make a reply anyway is. I, like I don't have that in me, but I I I I'm glad that they do because they're willing to participate in the show, and and it's whatever they want it to feel like. So I know I would just rant it over there. I was actually just trying to be a character. I I I love when people do that. I really do. So keep doing it. And I'll add this too. I, I think like the King's Beat specifically, um, like our goal between the off the record with the, uh with the King's Beat virtual happy hours and between that and the podcast. It's to show a different side of us as well because we're people who cover the team that you love. And I think it's good that we show 
like parts of ourselves outside of that. So you actually know that we are people like what what we do, that Sean goes to concerts all the time, that that Molly runs around in the background of, of how many Brennan's boats house. We have. How many, how many boats James has? All of these we need things. to learn more about Brendan. Is is I think what we need to ultimately get Do down we? to. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I think the next question. I think the next podcast. We need twenty questions for Brendan. Mm. Oh, so Sean. Sean has to uh, come up with uh, his own version of factor cap or. Oh no. It's get it's it's or Tuesday it overreactions, no, or no. Uh, <laughs> it'll be my own franchise called Get to Know the Nunes. Get. <laughs> We could do an episode for each of us. There we go. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's good. Like we're uh, we're an open book a, a lot of the times, and I think that that's it's good because you're getting to see a different side of us that you're just not going to get to see like with us tweeting or reading our work or anything else. So uh, all the work that Sean does at Fox Forty, um, all the work that Brendan does uh, at the the King's Pulse uh, podcast and the King's Herald. I just think like that's what this is about. That's why we do final thoughts. Isn't there like, a third Brendan? Don't you have another not. one? I freelanced oh, for the B a little bit. That's what it was. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On occasion. On occasion. So no, I think it's good. I think it, it. We're we're pulling back the curtain a little bit and letting you see a different side of ourselves. And if you don't like that and you don't like us talking for eight to ten minutes before, you can skip it. Uh, you can keep demanding that I put in time codes, and sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. Um, it's just, it's a matter of time and, and energy and all that stuff. So, uh, I'm sorry, do, are we paying for the podcast here? Is this free? This is free, right? It is free. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's part of the King's beat, but it's also free. Like anyone can watch right. it on YouTube. Anyone can listen. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's choice, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay, well, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday. We may discuss like our favorite uh, alcohol, alcoholic beverages, uh, adult oh. beverages. Uh, maybe we'll we'll make beverages right here on the show. I, I don't know. We'll do whatever the hell we want. That's that's the point of this that's conversation. So uh, for Fox Forties, Sean Cunningham and scary. the King's Pulse Podcasts, Brendan Nunes. I'm James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. I'll be on ESPN 1320 all day on Friday and then all next week, Monday through Friday, uh, with Kenny Caraway. So uh, make sure to, to drop by and say hi over on ESPN 1320. It's good seeing you guys. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday.